0: Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. What moves the mission of God forward? What moves the mission of God forward? That's the question that I want us to consider this morning as we talk about open doors. um, I seem to have a knack for having complex societal conversations on the sidelines of sporting events. I don't know if that's your particular gift, but apparently it's mine because whenever I seem to be standing and watching little children run around and pretend that they can play sports because they're really just running around, um, having fun, but I, uh, I seem to like all of a sudden get into the quagmires of our time in our society. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's because I can't sort of hang in the over-the-fence conversation for so long, chit-chatting. I need to kind of get around the fence and like talk about what's really concerning someone in their life. That's just my particular wiring. Um, but I remember one time recently I was talking with another, another soccer dad, and um, all of a sudden we got on to talking about the school system and modern education, and of course, there's been a little bit of a challenge there in the last season of time in our own city, and so we're talking about bureaucracy, we're talking about transparency, or we're talking about all the different players involved, and um, there are many, many areas in society where at that time when we were talking, it feels like things were just sort of stuck, and we couldn't quite get past, at that point, a strike, um, and in some ways a very warranted and needed one. But I said, hey, it appears... Um, like it's just so complex with all these competing factors like i like what what would you do like what do you think we should do and um he says i know like i know it seems complex but like i wish i could just like get in there because like i'm an engineer by training and so like they trained me to take complex problems and break them down into their parts and then work on them so that we could put together some type of solutions. And so I think if I could, like as an engineer, I could just get in there and sort of break some stuff apart and maybe we'd be able to work on something. So um, his thought was, I just need to get closer to the action, closer to the problem. And that shift, the shift from problems being out there to problems being in here where we're working on them and we want to be involved in them, that's a crucial one. If you think about it, from an advertising perspective, we have a couple people in advertising and marketing in our church. And in order to write anything compelling or to tell the story of a product or a service, you have to sort of get in there and and taste and handle and touch the product and figure out, okay, I need to experience this for myself so that I can then be able to write about it or perhaps run a campaign about it that makes sense and connects. That kind of hands-on and bringing the problem close is what Paul is getting at here. Like a master engineer, he's breaking down the components of what seems to stall the mission of God into their parts so that he can invite us into the solution. And I think, honestly, the, the, the comment of my friend is really revealing because he, it's, it's true many times that the problems we see are oftentimes the Lord's invitation to us of a need that we could meet. He hasn't designed us to stand aloof from the issues that we see, but to enter into them, meaningfully engaging them. So what moves the mission of God forward? Well, it moves forward, I would suggest, when mission moves from being out there as a problem to being in here as a passion. From out there as a problem to being in here as a passion. The problem of fewer and fewer people coming to faith in Jesus, staying out there won't do the church any good. The problem of loads of Christians who are immature, who have not been discipled, staying out there won't do any good. The problem of the brokenness in our city or in our society, staying out there won't do any good. But if those problems all of a sudden start to come close and even begin to affect us in here such that we move towards them, okay, now we've got something that we can work with. When the problem shifts from being something someone else can deal with out there to being something that I have a particular passion and ability to address in here, all of a sudden God's got something that he can work with. Remember, the apostle Paul is a traveling missionary. He's a traveling missionary. And at the time of his writing, this gospel globetrotter had given his life and almost lost his life several times For the forward progress of the gospel, because he believed it could affect individuals and he knew that it could change and transform communities. It was affecting the culturally Jewish and the Greek. It was affecting men and it was affecting women. It was affecting the rich and it was affecting the poor. Paul believed that the mission needed to go forward for the good of humanity and for the glory of Jesus. And so he's been teaching this young church that the mission of God moves forward both in the church as people's lives are changed and transformed, but also through the church, as the gospel continues to go forward through their lives and their stories, through their witness. So there's two charges here in four verses. Let me show them to you. The two charges are one, devote yourself to prayer, which in the translation we read was continue steadfastly. Perhaps yours says devote. And the second, Is walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Those are the two charges. What I want to do is flip the passage and talk about three characteristics instead. We'll get to those, but the three characteristics of a missionary I see here would be the prayer of a missionary, missionary, the posture of a missionary, and the presence of a missionary. And I I say that word and I almost hesitate to use the word missionary because it usually in our society conjures up some picture of a third world country, perhaps someone traveling out of the place in which they live to another, a mission trip as it were. Maybe it immediately comes to your mind that you think of places like Africa or Asia, well, the odd thing about that is because most recent studies say those parts of the world are the places where the mission of God is traveling so fast in ways that we couldn't quite fathom here. That's, that's just, a, we need to undo that stereotype. I mean, one study would say that by mid-century, by 2050, the center of Christianity will be Africa with over a billion Christians living there on the continent. Incredible the pace at which the gospel is moving through that continent and transforming societies. Many of the churches in our own network have been planted there and are doing fruitful ministry there. So whereas we think missionary and we think people like the Apostle Paul, what Paul is saying here in the truth, which plain to see here in this text, is that every Christian is a missionary and that every church is called in to the mission. This passage was to their church. It was a letter to the whole people about what God was doing and what he was asking them to do. And by extension, I would say it's also for our church, not just for individuals or for those who feel called to go to remote places. The prayers of a missionary, the presence of a missionary, and the posture of a missionary. You ready? If you're ready, say, let's go. Let's go, let's go. go. The prayers of a missionary, continue steadfastly in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word. The first characteristic that I wanna show you is the prayer of a missionary right? Paul's charge is simple. Devote yourselves to prayer. This language is continue on. Keep going. The devotion means to sort of stick by something or keep it close at hand. If you were to think of the thing that you keep most close at hand, the probably the thing that comes to mind is either a coffee cup or a cell phone, right? Like you're, you're, that's the thing that's always close to me. And that kind of language is being used here. What you can't go without if you think you can't leave the house without your phone in your pocket or your purse, if you think you can't leave without a wallet or something like that, that's what's going on here. Just keep it close at hand. Devote yourself to it. Attach to it. Be faithful to it. But of course we would say, I can't, I can't be devoted to prayer. I'm not the Apostle Paul. I mean, like, what are you calling me to do? Well, the truth is you already are Devoted. You're already devoted to something. The way that we are made and wired as human beings is for devotion and for faithfulness. You're devoted to whatever you routinely do. And what we know from neuroscience is that you all routinely do things. You cannot function by conscious choice all the time. You have routines that you run by that have been built by your own habits and longings of heart. It's true that habits often reveal the heart. And you run by devotion throughout most of life and as much as 50 to 90% of the things that you do in your daily routine run on autopilot of devotion. Right? Captain devotion takes you exactly where your heart wants you to go. And so to say, I can't be devoted to prayer is to say, no, well, you can be devoted to things. You are devoted to things. But the question is, what are those things you'll be devoted to? We all routinely do things like morning coffee or checking the phone when we feel stuck or maybe anxious or an afternoon walk or a bedtime routine or a Netflix binge. Like we all have things that we routinely do. Everyone is devoted to something. And Paul's saying here, continue in prayer such that it becomes a kind of spiritual habit that takes over your life. One pastor I know says it like this. They want their church to be committed to extraordinary prayer, which of course makes everyone feel like, well, glad I'm not gonna be part of that church because I can't do that. Um, And he would say, listen, we know extraordinary prayer. What's extraordinary prayer? Well, it's anything other than ordinary prayer. So, If ordinary prayer for you is, you don't pray. As soon as you pray once, you're in the extraordinary, right? If ordinary prayer for you is morning or mealtime, you pray another time, you're into the extraordinary. If, if, If whatever is your basic pattern right now for prayer, if you could just take one more step towards a life of dependence on God and devotion and prayer, that would be extraordinary. What's extraordinary for you when it comes to prayer? Prayer is qualified here as being watchful and thanksgiving. Paul's not saying a pray it and forget it. He's saying, pray it and follow it. Keep on it, wait for it, watch for it to see how the Lord answers. He's also not saying, pray it and then go ahead and complain it, right? He's saying, pray it, watch for it. And with thanksgiving in your heart, be grateful for the ways you see God is working and moving, especially when you see the Lord open doors. I'd love to preach a whole other sermon just on prayer, but we've got to talk about mission today, right? Paul's request is for the church to pray for open doors. The prayer of a missionary is always that. God, open the doors. Open doors for the word so that I could speak about Jesus And listen, this one's for free. If Paul is saying, hey, pray for the doors to be open, what's probably happening at some points? The doors are closed. So if you've ever felt like there's a relationship in your life where it's just closed, right? Where there's an opportunity that just doesn't seem to be opening, where you're not quite sure what your next step spiritually is in that relationship and it feels stuck, Welcome to the life of the Apostle Paul. Welcome to what it means to be a Christian in a world that has opposition. There will be closed doors that we run into and in the way that we open them is to pray, to plead with the Lord to do that work for us. The good news when it comes to prayer, when it comes to mission, is that God opens doors, not us. That's his work, not ours. That's the good news that God opens doors. And we've been taught this in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus because the door to relationship with the living God, did we open it? No way. Did the door into the endless power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and working around us, did we open it? No, God opened it. The door for the word to go forward in your friends' lives, in your family's lives, among your coworkers or in your neighborhood. Do we open it? God opens the door. That's the good news. But it also prompts us with a real clear invitation. Pray. Pray for opportunities. Pray for the opening of doors. What would it look like for that to become extraordinary for you? Would it be every time you drive in your car, you start praying for the people that come to mind? Would it be every time before you walk into work, if you still go to work instead of work remote or wherever you work, like would it be that you pray for the coworkers that are around you? Would it be as you go go to bed? Would it be as you wake up? What would extraordinary prayer for doors to open mean? I can't even tell you all the stories of this working in my life. And perhaps you could tell stories of it working too. I remember in the early days of Emmanuel, we sat on my back patio just praying for new relationships and for God to really open the door for people to hear about the gospel. And we're sitting there on the patio praying these things. And then midweek, my neighbor walks across the alley and says, hey, I saw you guys sitting there last week. Um, Were you having a Bible study? I've been looking for one. Like, oh, okay, yes, you can come next week. Please come on over. Or what about when my wife would just stroll the kids to the park? We used to live in Walkington to the park and every, every morning that she would go, she would push the stroller and she would pray for the people at the park. How many times do people come up to her asking spiritual questions? People would come from the park over to our house and living room to join our gospel community just because we had been praying about it. Time after time, it would happen. Or perhaps there's a guy that I remember, um, we'll call him Frank. It wasn't Frank, but we'll call him Frank. And I would, um, I would walk and pray around the businesses on this key intersection by my house and uh, just asking the Lord to open doors to give the kind of relationship that I needed with business owners or key people that might connect me with others. And I was praying there, praying there, and then... Finally, this guy just shows up to meet me on the street corner and Frank starts talking with me and I start talking with him and all of a sudden I'm reading the Bible with Frank in a coffee shop. He's come over to my house for dinner. Like God just does these things as soon as we start asking for doors to open. It's a totally different topic. But James, the apostle says, you don't have because you don't ask. I wonder if you don't have gospel conversations with others because you don't ask. What would happen if you started asking? One of the simple ways that you could start asking is to join or to restart us in the 30 days of prayer. My guess is some of you haven't started. Some of you have started some of the days, um, and we're only halfway through. 15 out of 30 days, it's the 15th of May today. You could join us And you could either pick up at at day 15 or you could double up and go morning and evening. You could do whatever would be extraordinary for you to start praying for others. Or perhaps that's not extraordinary for you. Maybe adding something like the simple ACTS, A-C-T-S acronym onto that or onto your drive home would be extraordinary. You could adore God. You could confess your sin. You could be thankful for the things God's doing. And you could make supplication and ask for others just in a few minutes a day. If you don't like that as a tool, you could do the five by five by five. That's what one, one of the ones I love the most. You could, for five minutes a day, at the start of your day or your lunch break, you could say, five minutes a day, I'm gonna present myself to the Lord. And just say, Lord, here I am. Here's what I feel. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's, here's what my body's like. This is me right now because I believe you care about me. And then for five minutes, you could say, I'm gonna present my day. Here's the appointments I have the meetings, the people I'm gonna deal with, the decisions I'm facing. For five minutes, then you could present your life and say, here's the big stuff going on, the big decision I've gotta make, the challenging situation I can't seem to shake. This is my life, Lord, myself, my day, my life. 15 minutes could change your life once a day, presenting yourself to the Lord in prayer. Prayers of a missionary are characteristically different Because when mission ceases to be a problem out there and begins to come a a passion in here that we're pouring out of our hearts to God in prayer, all of a sudden the mission moves forward. Not only the prayers of a missionary, but the posture of a missionary. Verse three, let's read the first part again. At the same time, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. A door for the word, or perhaps in an alternate translation, the message, which he's saying the message is the mystery of Christ. We've already read in Colossians that the mystery of Christ is this just crazy reality that Christ is in us by faith this mystery, this hope that we are so connected and united by faith to the living God that Jesus himself has taken up residence within us. And we are forever inseparably united to the Lord. This is our hope of glory, that even though life is not as bad as it could be, and it's definitely not as good as it could be, that we have a hope of glory of another world because Christ is in us. So that's the message that Christ, the the Lord and Savior of all, has taken up residence within us. That word needs to go forward. Now, careful when you read this because it says declare, which basically sounds like something none of you would probably want to do. I'm a preacher, so I'll declare. Um, But like declare is misleading because the same word at the end in verse four, how I ought to speak, is the word for declare. So he's basically saying, listen, open a door for me to speak about Jesus. He's not saying, open me a door to preach to my coworkers, you know, or get up on on the street corner and start declaring. He's saying, let me just talk about Jesus with some people so that I could make this great revealed mystery known to them as well. The posture of a missionary is one that's eager to share the message, that believes that there's something worth sharing. I mean, he's in prison because he feels it's so worth sharing. He'd happily suffer in order for it to go forward. A Christian who lives as a missionary, which is what a Christian is, has a passion to see the message shared and believes deeply that there's an actual good that we have as Christians that there is hope, there's light, there's peace, there's freedom, there's a joy, there is life in Jesus that the world around us is actually longing for. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I've been prisoned, that I may make it clear. Let me say it, that I may make it clear. Did you catch that? The apostle Paul isn't always clear. I feel like the preacher Paul can be fuzzy at times. Preacher Paul can fumble over his own words about Jesus and he's writing the New Testament, right? Like we need that word. Like we need may make it clear because that is one of the greatest hurdles for Christians speaking about Jesus with others. We're so concerned that it just just won't come out right. Or like, I, I don't know what I'm gonna say, I kind of feel a little bit anxious about saying anything at all. Like, I'm the pastor. I still feel that at times, right? Paul's the preacher, the gospel globetrotter. He still feels it at some times. He wants to be clearer than he is in his own strength. We're concerned about how we feel. We're concerned about how, what someone might think or how someone would respond. And Paul's saying, pray for me that I may make it clear. And there's one of my neighbors um, who I prayed this a lot when I was hanging out with him. Like he was just the guy who made me most aware that I needed to be asking for help from God all the time. <laughs> like I, I I I love this this dear man, and um, but he. Um, I never knew what was going to come out of his mouth. And like he was into a lot of different things and I had no, there was no way of preparing for the conversation. And so I just realized I couldn't, and, but I could. I could be praying constantly. Hey, Lord, help me. Whoa, he just said that. I don't know what to do with that. Lord, guide me. Lord, um, soften his heart there. Hey, help me find out a question to ask there. I was constantly in dialogue with Jesus because I knew my need in order to make it clear. <laughs> and I would listen to him. I would pray for him while I'm talking with him. I would ask questions of him. I would challenge assumptions that he had. I, or I would just borrow a power tool if that's what I needed, you know? Like, but, but, but one of these days that I was out sort of in the backyard, I overheard a throwdown in the alley between him and I think his girlfriend. Um, it, was, it was loud so that the whole neighborhood could hear. And while I kept tabs on it, just honestly for like safety and protection, like, is this okay? Um, I waited for things to die down and then went to talk with him. And said, hey, are you all right? Like, is she all right? Like, how can I help? And tell me what's happening. And um, it's amazing what can happen in a relationship when you show a bit of concern for others. He just sort of poured himself out talking about it all, weeping about it all. And regularly, I was able to pray with him um, from that point on. And in short order, both he and his girlfriend were in our living room reading the Bible with our gospel community, just by some concern and then a question. And then, of course, an invitation. Hey, we're doing this. Why don't you come on over? It's amazing what happens when we just trust the Lord and realize that it's not the clarity of our words. (laughs) It's it's really not whether we have no fear in our gut, but it is if we have a posture of dependence on the Lord. And that's where I think the missionary maturity of Paul is so clear, right? He has not risen to the point where he is all competent and has no kind of need for help or support at all. He has grown to the point of maturity where he's able to say, hey, when it comes to the challenges, I'm gonna go for dependence rather than for avoidance. I'm gonna invite others to pray for me and I'm gonna be praying rather than avoid what I know the Lord's inviting me into. He asked them to pray for his clarity in speech. And that probably is one of the defining principles, I think, of someone who grows towards maturity in this kind of missionary calling that's on every church and that's on every Christian. They stop thinking that they need to do for God. And they realize that they need to start doing with God. That there is a huge shift that happens when we are not alone, but the Lord is with us at work ahead of us and we need to depend on him through the things that we're doing and that he would open a door for us to speak. And there's so many stories I could tell over the years of God doing that. But I I want you to hear that there's good news for those who often fumble in conversation or are fearful of conversation. I'm telling you that most non-Christians that I've talked to just want Christians who will be honest and talk with them rather than hide life from them. But There is a real challenge for Christians to believe the gospel deeply and to live more freely as Christians. People will disagree with you. People will question you and you won't know how to answer everything that they ask you. And that is okay because when it comes to the mission of Jesus going forward, God is the one who works deliverance and not you. God is the one who delivers When you walk into a conversation and you're talking about King Jesus and what he's done on the cross and his resurrection, it is not you who are going to deliver somebody from some belief or conviction over to another. It's not Epaphras is the person who planted the church at Colossae. It wasn't Pappy who delivered people from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom. It was God the Father through this fumbling witness of Pappy, Epaphras, the missionary, And God took those people, he transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son. God delivers, not us. God changes, not us. But we can go forward then with the humility that we don't always have clarity of what we're saying, (laughs) but we are called to speak nonetheless about the mystery of Christ. When's the last time you mentioned Jesus to someone, if you consider yourself a Christian? If you don't consider yourself a Christian, when's the last time you just asked a Christian, hey, tell me about this guy that you're basing your life on? That's a question I would love to have someone ask me. And probably many of the Christians would too, that you might know. The posture of a missionary is different. The posture of a missionary is one in which they depend on God and they want to share the news. And when that place of heart, that passion within replaces the problem out there, and then the mission becomes a passion in here, and we begin to depend on God, that's what opens the door for the mission of God to move forward. This prayerful dependence, this posture of humility, that God is at work, and He's going to take our feeble efforts, and He's going to use them. Not only posture, but finally the presence. The presence of a missionary. Here's verse five. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, this v- verb, walk, is one of the themes in the whole letter. Walk in wisdom. Wisdom has been repeated almost in every chapter throughout these four but walk is something that's used to help Paul talk about the kind of life that he wants the church at Colossae. And I believe that God wants the church at Emmanuel to live. It is to maintain a certain walk of life. It, it can have a sense to accompany or even to be frequent in a certain way or pattern. And if you look at these verses, something really fascinating happens to chapter four. I think we have the occurrences of that word walk in one of our slides, but in in chapter one, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And there's knowledge and wisdom earlier in that passage. And therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him. And then as he's talking about the change that happens when we begin to live a resurrected life because we've been raised with Christ. He says, in these two, all of the old patterns of sin, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you're supposed to be raised to new life and walk in a new way. Let that, the, th- the three occurrences at key points in the letter, let that weigh upon this verse. Paul's final statement about walking is walk in wisdom towards outsiders. It's that important for a Christian. And even if you look at the standards for Christian leadership within the local church, which are primarily all character with a little bit of competence thrown in there, what's one of the character marks that a a Christian leader would walk in wisdom? towards those outside of the faith. They will be hospitable, but they would have favor with those who don't even agree with what we believe. This is important for anyone to grow towards maturity in Christ. And I tell you, whenever I meet somebody who is walking in wisdom with non-Christians and walking faithfully with Jesus, I go, man, that person has, they've grown up a bit in the faith. The gospel has shaped their life. And whenever I see somebody who has no relationships with non-Christians that are meaningful or consistent, I go, that person is still growing towards maturity in Christ and what it means for them to have a Christian identity. Because to have a Christian identity is to embrace a missionary identity. One in, in which your speech then becomes gracious, salty, and filled with answers. Gracious, it's kind, it's gentle. You're not easily angered or argumentative, not defensive, but you extend latitude. You listen well. You're kind. It's salty. Um, Not the way we would probably think of salty in our day. Um, Salty in their day was actually more like um, humorous, clever. It was thoughtful, intentional in order to grab the attention of somebody man, there is nothing true from the Bible's perspective about a boring Christian, right? We do not serve a boring Jesus. And when we are in conversation with others, we should not make Jesus boring, nor should we make our life in Christ uninteresting, but catching, clever, witty even, humorous at points, such that there is a real, even natural interest for what, someone would come to find is spiritual fullness. There's a reason. And even the way that we speak, there is salt to it. And then of course, answers. A Christian who believes in Jesus has answers to some of the biggest questions of life and existence. We at least have a take on them. I mean, would someone willing to let you share your take when it comes to reality, ultimately, to life and to death, to what matters? but also Christians have answers to all of the circumstantial problems in life as well. We have hope. We have a strong God able to deliver and work. We have a God of peace able to comfort the troubled mind and heart. Christians have so much to offer the world around them. We have confidence therefore, and we should have confidence in giving answers to others who ask questions. Not arrogance that we know everything or that we could never run into an issue that we can't quite figure out how to answer, but confidence that we do have things to say and to share. Confident yet charitable. It's probably a good way of putting it. And here's why I would say, I think probably our greatest area of disbelief is that we just don't quite believe God is at work if we are to be able to answer the questions that people have about the faith, wait, wait, wait. Paul's assuming then that people have questions. Have you wrestled with that as just a foundational truth that the people in your neighborhood, the people in your family, the people at your workplace are questioning things about life and spirituality? That is happening and God is at work ahead of you and around you, oftentimes in ways you have no clue until you pray for an open door and then begin to step into an opportunity. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, I didn't realize that God was drawing and at work in that person, in their thought life, in their emotional life, in the circumstances of their life. I didn't realize that what Jesus said is true, that no one comes to the Father unless, no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws them. God is drawing people to himself all around you, at work beyond you. And it is our calling then to step into it because God works, of course, before we walk. Before we walk in wisdom with outsiders, God is already working among outsiders. The book of Acts says that God is so at work that he's near to everyone. Such that they could maybe almost feel or find their way to Him. But how are they going to find their way to God without a guide? How are they going to understand a message unless it's communicated? How will they hear unless someone speaks? Paul is inviting them into the very mission of God, and He's inviting us to as well. I wonder if you just thought about your life and the various spaces that you occupy whether that's the place you live or the place you work or the place that you do a hobby or an activity or the restaurant you love, are there different spaces that you could bring some gospel intentionality to such that all of a sudden you begin to walk into work with a bit of a spiritual lens on or that you begin to walk into that sport you play with an open heart to whom God might introduce you to or what's going on in their life. You might walk down the street in your neighborhood with an eye for who needs to be served, loved, spoken to about Jesus. The presence of a missionary is characteristically different. One of the ways I tried to embody this recently was just at some of my kids' activities. And I realized as I walked into the kids' activity, everyone around me was staring at their phone the entire time the activity was happening. And so I realized the temptation at that moment to do the exact same thing, because there's something I could do on there that could entertain me there. And I just said, you know what? It's just not, I'm gonna silence it. I'm gonna put it on, on, on vibrate, and I'm gonna walk in this place. I'm gonna talk with these people present fully there rather than partially there or with an eye for spiritual things there and just see what the Lord does. And oftentimes simple acts like that are incredible ways that the posture and the presence and the prayer of a missionary begins to open doors for the mission of God to move forward. God does it, but he invites us to do with him.